Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hello, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen post on Tumblr. I'm joined tonight with Eon. Hi, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Comma. Hi, this is Comma, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. YD. Hi, this is YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And our sixth beetle, Guile. <laughs> <laughs> I will be your champion. This is is Guile. You can find me, uh, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. Yay. Love having Guile on. All right. Uh, We're covering Game of Thrones, Season 2, Episode 6. And as always, uh, blanket spoiler warning for everything books and show. Uh, this episode opens with Mas- Maester Lewin. Uh, he's locking the doors to of the rookery. Uh, he manages to scrawl a message and send a raven before men burst in. Um, Theon uh, charges into Bran's room, tells the boy he's taken Winterfell. Theon wants Bran to come down to the courtyard to yield, and Bran refuses. Theon tells Bran a good lord would keep his people safe. And uh, Bran asks him, Theon, did you hate us the whole time? Uh, in the courtyard, Bran does yield. Um, the newly captured people are... Wait, wait, sorry. Yeah, Can yeah. we, firstly, I think we need to do a rate warning for this episode. <laughs> right, um, yeah. Because there right. is actual attempted rape and rape. Um, and secondly, can we just discuss that first scene? Because that was a pretty damn good scene, I thought. Yeah, sure, yeah, we can stop here. So, yeah, rape trigger okay. warnings, um, as YD mentioned, and we're going to discuss the first scene. So you're talking about, I'm guessing, when Theon breaks into the room and the exchange yeah, with that's... him and Bran. Yeah, I mean, I I think this is probably one of the better scenes in the episode. It's such a a layered scene for both of the characters, and there's there's a lot really happening underneath the dialogue. Um, and what's really interesting here is, despite the seriousness of what's actually happening, there's this real um, familial dynamic at play, like kind of like a brotherly thing. You know, Theon's advising Bran about what he needs to do, almost in this brotherly tone. You know, he's saying, you need to yield to keep your men safe. That's what a good lord would do. And then you've got Bran, and he's refusing to yield, and it's it's quite reminiscent of a bratty younger brother refusing to do what his older brother tells him. And this sort of brotherly back and forth between the two is is quite jarring considering the seriousness of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, and it works really beautifully to highlight just how much of a betrayal this really is by Theon. You know, he's just attacked his own home and this is essentially his brother that he's ordering to yield. So I thought I really I really enjoyed the way the two actors played it. I thought the whole, you know, they're, they're family, really. And what's happening here is one family member is betraying the other and it really sort of underscored what was happening. Yeah, and... Okay. Oh, go ahead. i got to stand up for Theon. Theon is not... Okay, and this is going to get me some controversy. <laughs> Theon's not betraying the Starks. Theon is betraying Rob. The Star, he was the Starks hostage. His father acts yeah. up. There's no way in hell Ned is not chopping his head off. So... Like, I totally think in him, I'm justifying it for Theon. I think, like, the dynamic that you described is is exactly what it was. There is that brotherly feeling between them. He feels that guilt. I don't know that he should, to be honest, except for <laughs> Rob's concern. No, I, I, I do agree with you in part. I do think that the biggest betrayal is, is for Rob, because really Rob was, I mean, from what we know, the only one who really treated him as a, as a real brother. But I do believe that despite the fact that Theon was a hostage of the Starks, the Starks were still his family in a way. So I do feel like there's this whole family betrayal going on. But, you know... That's from I mean, their... Pers- I was going to say, that's right, from their perception, right? right? They they treated him right. well, they took him in, and they probably treated I, them better than most would have. And if right, his right. father had acted up, Ned would have had to kill him. Because yeah. that's what... That's what right. his role was. And Ned would and have. I think, full honor. 
and Ned would have. I mean, that's why he's a hostage. I've he's been, not there to be a ward. I mean, they can call it that, but that's what his role was. I do. So I do. Actually, I, I don't know. I. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I'm just curious. I always wondered if Ned actually would have if Push came to shove. That is a good totally question. would have. It's like the most net thing he could ever do. Honor. I mean, he'd God. feel horrible about it, and but, you know, it honor. wouldn't be something he would enjoy, but I think that's the whole point why that kid was there. Well, well yeah. I mean, you know, you, you would immediately say, oh, Ned would, would certainly do it, honor, honor, but Ned ended up dying because not of honor. He actually was trying to protect his family. And, yes, I know you'd, you'll probably argue, well, he didn't consider Theon to be his family, but, you know, he raised this kid from, what, 10 years old. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's as clear-cut as you might make it out to be. But well, I think- saying that, I do agree. I do tend to agree with you, Gal. I think... Out of all the things that Theon ends up doing, this may be the one he should feel the least guilty about doing. Um, and I find Theon really sympathetic in this scene. I, for me, in this scene, Theon is really just posturing. He's kind of a bundle of bravado. And this is what I was thinking as I was watching it. You kind of imagine that he's practiced what he was going to say over and over. And now it's happening. And, He's saying the words like he's still trying to convince himself that he's doing the right thing, attacking what was essentially his home. And you can say his brother's home, if you like. And he's saying to himself, you know, I can't be Rob's man and my father's son. And you just see this look on his face and he just looks so unsure and so cocky at the same time. And, oh, God, then you've got Bran saying, you know, did you hate us this whole time? And you kind of see Theon's face fall, like, just a little bit because... He knew this was coming. This is what he feared was coming, that, you know, this is him losing the only family he's ever known. It's, oh, it's such a good scene. And I How think that line Theon is in the directly... Books? I think he's about I think 19, he's 19 or 20. At the beginning, yeah. yeah. Hmm. And I think that okay, Brand's that, line that is a direct my... take from the... Go, go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I had a theory, but that just shot it to hell, so keep going. <laughs> I got well, nothing. I think the... Brand's line about did you hate us the whole time if I'm I think that's directly from the book and I think it's an interesting you know knowing you know you you look forward to the on scenes with um Barbary Dustin in the in Winterfell and Dance with Dragons I mean that is exactly it's the same conversation you know did you hate mm-hmm. us the whole time I hated the Starks you know no it, it's it's so interesting that that's carried over three books later you see that same dynamic play out again almost mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I think we should go on for a bit because we're gonna, this podcast is going to be four hours long. <laughs> really, I was going to say, with Paul and I on this panel, you just—it's going to be a whole theme. This is a, it. it's going to be all about the. <laughs> it's a fantastic discussion, though. I have to say, very well done, guys. <laughs> um, so the newly ca- uh, conquered people are acting pretty insolent. Uh, Theon warns them not to cross him. He also orders Maester Lewin to send two ravens: one to his daddy, one to his sister. He wants 500 men to Winterfell. Osha kneels to Theon, asks for a spear. He refuses. Bran asks her why. Bran's not getting what she's doing here. He feels kind of betrayed. Um, And then she says to him, it's his dream. The ocean has come to Winterfell, and she's not going to let it drown her. Roderick is brought in. He's bloody, but his tongue works fine. He calls Theon um, out for his actions, and uh, he spits in his eye. Theon demands Roderick locked up, and, you know, his first anchor tells him he he can't let him get away with that. He has to pay the iron price. Theon orders Roderick's death. Lewin and Theon asks Theon to think it over. Theon will not relinquish. Roderick calls him a coward, tells him to do the deed himself. Bran cries out for it to stop. Roderick tells Bran he's off to Mm. see his father. Theon asks Roderick for his last words. Gods help you, Theon Greyjoy. Now you are truly lost. Theon whacks Roderick once with the sword. It's a poor blow. Three more chops and a kick to the head before it's done. Brands cries. Yeah. Oh my god, Brands cries. This thing made me cry. Like, this thing actually made me cry, even the second time watching it all this. Can I just say, my DVD player is, is slowly dying. <laughs> and I had to From this rewatch it. I couldn't fast forward where it would totally freeze. So I had to see this scene oh, like you. three or four times before it would finally advance. <laughs> and it was so painful to watch because it's oh, so God. good. 
But I mean, I, I had my angst after, you know, the first time. I really didn't need to have the four versions, but... um, You know what's hilarious is Vanessa Taylor, who was the writer of this episode and who was on the commentary panel, was talking about how she kept saying to the guys, oh, do we really need that much blood? And every take they were saying, more blood, more blood! <laughs> I just really love the acting here. I, I forgot his name, but the guy who plays Ron Lewin. Is, oh, um, oh my God, he's good. And I really like, she kind of, it took me a while to grow, for her performance to grow on me, but I really like Natalie Tina. Yeah, she's great. And she's just excellent. Also the, and the guy playing uh, Roderick is pretty decent, too. Yeah. You know, he's Pod's dad in yes! real life. Yes! I think that came mm-hmm. up in another podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it has, yeah. I, think. Uh, I, I think we've said this multiple times, but they the casting is one thing that Game of Thrones almost consistently gets right. I think they're all fantastic. And even... Uh, even Bran. Um, oh, God, Isaac Hempstead. Especially Crying Bran. out is just oh, the worst. Oh, it is, yeah. For such a young actor, I think he has got an amazing handle on, on Bran and, well, and the emotional. He was still so cute at this point, Oh, he was too. so little. <laughs> so little. What are you, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I, mean, I, I think my favourite part, there are a couple of favourite parts in the scene, I, and they both come from Sir Roderick, and one is when he tells Bran, what does he say, I'll be with your Father tonight. Which is horrible. That's a terrible thing. You're gonna watch me die, but let me first remind you that your dad is dead too. <laughs> that's not that's not, that's not that line. I thought it was a kind of a Whiskers is an asshole. <laughs> and then the one that really struck home was when he tells Theon that he's truly lost and I mean, how apt is that? I mean, he's already losing parts of himself before what happens to him later when he actually yeah. does pretty much lose the entirety of himself. Oh, no, that's not what I meant, Kyle! <laughs> you guys, Whitey is trying to be very upset in this scene and all we're doing is laughing at her grief. damn it! She said Theon lost parts of himself. How can I'm not strong enough to not take that from with it? Good. Kind of asking for it. Kind of asking for it. I was. I was. You know what? It was a great, hilarious scene. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's go north. This is a short bit. Uh, north of the wall, it's John, Corrin, and uh, the rangers are searching for wildlings. Corrin's schooling John on the value of his life, the north, and some other stuff. I don't know. I kind of got bored. <laughs> Chicky would kill uh, me here. Well, again, I had to watch this three times until I finally got past You guys suck. You guys suck. Okay, with your north no. hatred, your north of the wall hatred. No, it was just like... They, I do not like the guy playing Corrin Halfhand. I really don't. And he has that sort of poor man's Patrick Stewart, and I love Patrick Stewart, but he's just not the real thing. You find that offensive. So I keep calling him Corrin Picard. Corrin Picard. I think what this scene is about is he's telling John, it's the kind of advice they give anthropologists. Don't go native. Don't ever think you know this place because it'll kill you every time. And John, of course, is going to ignore that in a big way, but... He's certainly going to go native, if you know what I mean, and I think that you do. Yeah, <laughs> that was a yeah. hell of a lot you better know, than I, my I, summary. I, look, this isn't um, this isn't a scene that lends itself to a huge amount of discussion, I don't think. But I have to say, because I did just recently read the introduction of Corrin in Clash, and I've got to say, it's one of the best descriptions of a character I've ever read. There's part of it reads. Only thumb and forefinger remained on the hands that held the reins. The other fingers had been sheared off, catching a wildling's axe that would otherwise have split his skull. It was told that he had thrust his maimed fist into the face of the axe man, so the blood spurted into his eyes and slew him while he was blind. I mean, come on, that's that's pretty badass. Yeah, so where's no, this guy yeah, on the screen? The guy they have playing him doesn't have the gravitas yeah. to pull that off. Yeah, well, that's the thing, actually. Right. The characterization in the show is actually fairly different to the current of the books, I think. I think that I think that's he's meant fine. to be a man of few words. He's meant to be this kind of gruff, you know. But I think you could still cast that part with somebody who would have that presence to do it. And this guy, I swear, every time he gets on my screen, I just want to fall asleep. Yeah. No, no. And I'm, the I'm only reason I was paying attention was because, again three, four times I had to watch that damn scene going, oh, please let it go to Heron, oh, please. 
Speaking of Harrenhal, let's go there now. Okay, Harrenhal. <laughs> Tywin is at his war council table, uh, suffering idiots. His letters have been going to the wrong lords. <laughs> Tywin asks Arya to bring him a book of the greater and lesser houses. She retrieves um, the correct book um, before he can finish his instruction. Um, and then he says, my cupbearer can read better than you. Turns out Armory Lorch delivered his letter to a house who holds allegiance to the Starks. He's verbally spanked and dismissed. Arya is all smiles as Tywin tells her she should devise their next battle plan. He smiles, his smile disappears as, oh, well, sorry, her smile disappears as Lord Peter Baelish, um, is, arrives. Arya clears their table, serves drinks, and tries not to be noticed by Baelish. They discuss Renly's death. Apparently he was killed by a woman. Uh, Tywin and Baelish discuss the Tyrells. The conversation turns to Catelyn Stark and Tyrion's proposal concerning her daughters. And that's the end of that scene. I, I really like two things with this scene. One of which is I love the whole only sane employee trope that they have going on with Tywin and his um, not so impressive um, and not very literate war council there. Um, and I also like that, I mean, Peter Baelish, I mean, this is what, the equivalent of going to the show. This is probably one of the most powerful people in Westeros. And he's got his whole chaos as a ladder theory. And Tywin's like, yeah, yeah, you think you're the first guy to f- give me something real. You know, I don't think this man is really impressed with him. I don't um, think anyone's so- really impressed with Littlefinger. Except Littlefinger. Except Littlefinger. And Lysa Tully. That's... <laughs> Well, yeah. She's impressed with a certain part of him. (laughs) It's not his finger. No, sorry. That was terrible. (laughs) That was so terrible. It's not so little. (laughs) I don't know. Does anyone have anything else to say about this scene in particular? Nope. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Uh, So we're back with John, Corrin, and the Rangers. They sneak up on a group of wildlings. They kill all the men, um, and then John's wildling turns out to be a girl. He does not want to kill her. Um, she could give up information. Uh, Ygritte, of course, we know, tells John her name and that they should burn the men that they just killed. Corrin thinks it's a trick. He pulls a sword to kill her. John stops him and says he'll do it. Ygritte tells John he doesn't have to do it. She tempts him, you know, saying Mance will take him in. He silences her and then tells her he's as much crow as them. Ygritte turns over, offering her neck, tells him to strike hard and true, and threatens to haunt him if he fucks it up. <laughs> John uh, swings his sword and I assume deliberately misses. Uh, Ygritte punches <laughs> his kneecap and bolts. John gives chase, slides down a hill, and knocks her over, holds blade to her throat. She calls him out and says, you can't do it. That's I love that Lot thinks that she, she thinks John is so inept that, you know, he didn't even try and miss. I mean, I don't know. You don't know. He played it off like, oh, I meant to do that. <laughs> so the commentary for this scene is pretty amazing. Um, Kit talks about when he's creeping around the place, he did some excellent creeping acting. Um, and Rose said that it took him three years to master that creeping acting at drama school. He says he- <laughs> He got an A in creepy. <laughs> um, but beyond that, poor Rose Leslie, um, I don't, if you probably recall, she's kind of pushed back against a rock, like John's kind of holding her there. And she, her, her poor neck is kind of just, she's trying to keep it upright. And apparently it was, she was there for hours and it was really, really painful. And she says to this day, it's still a problem. Oh, no. So that's some, some, that's some acting commitment there, poor Rose. She earned her check. Yeah. And that's pretty much all I have to say about this scene. Yeah, it's a good introduction. It's a good introduction it was, to you. It Gret. was, yeah, I like the introduction to Agret as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to go to King's Landing next, and uh, we're seeing a weepy Marcella as she's being shipped off to Dorne. Cersei is, of course, pissed, and uh, she has this little exchange with Tyrion that one day she hopes he has love so that she can take it away from him. Um, Joffrey is scowling and irritated by Tommen's tears. Sansa tries to defend Tommen and, you know, saying her brother cried when she left. Joffrey calls her analogy irrelevant um, because her brother isn't a prince. 
On the trek back to the keep, things turn ugly with the crowd. Tyrion orders Tolman away right away. Um, Joffrey is hit in the face with shit. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it! <laughs> Good shot. Joffrey is furious. Um, he's ordering the gold cloaks to kill them all. Uh, Tyrion shouts for the guards to move. Cersei is taken away by two guards. Joffrey is with the hound. He's still screaming for all these people to be executed. Oh, Poor no. Sansa has no guards with her, just some whimpering handmaidens. Um, the fat Septon is literally being torn apart alive. <laughs> it's oh at my this... god, seriously! Can, <laughs> can you actually tear off like a human arm just by sheer force? Like, if you're hungry I mean, I enough. Know, I, they have weapons, or did they literally just tear his arm off? They're hangry, okay? I to my notes, <laughs> the riot with the arm is OTT. I mean, because I think... It can be done. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do to the human body, but that's oh no easy task there. <laughs> that is not... You'd have to have, like, Gregor Clegane in the crowd, probably, I'm thinking. Yeah. And even then, that's... that's No. <laughs> yeah. Before we get maybe, to... Oh, go ahead, Ian. Oh, I was just thinking maybe they had some zombie extra props. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm maybe they... Yeah, just, like, some zombie parts from other movies that they threw in. Can't let these go to waste. Yeah, Yeah, this is the Thrones Walking Dead uh, crossover episode. (laughs) That would be awesome. I would watch that. (laughs) I would too. (laughs) Um, Just before we get to the uh, very uncomfortable Sansa part, you got to (laughs) just mention how much this scene highlights how stupid Joffrey is. I mean, <laughs> and it really lends credence to him being a sociopath because, you know, this Norfolk start attacking and all he wants to do is retaliate, you know, rather than getting inside where it's safe. And then it's mass murder, no right, less. Right, right. Not then, just against the guy who threw the cow pie. He wants to kill everybody. Kill everyone, kill them all. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when Sansa's in trouble, he won't order his men to go and save her, despite the fact that she's kind of an invaluable hostage, or at least, you know, the only bargaining chip they have at this point. You know, it's certainly a pretty powerful game piece that you should probably not just lose like that. Yeah, I mean, to me, he's he's a sociopath. You know, he's really volatile. He can't seem to think beyond yeah. his rage. And Tyrion does go on to say, you know, they've been cursed with a vicious idiot king. I mean, that's <laughs> spot on. Spot on. It really is. So I have one note. I just want yeah. to get in if I can real quick. Sure. I love Cersei's dress. That blue one? This is my favorite of all of her outfits ever. I love her hair. I love the dress. It's sort of that sort of Japanese kimono style influence. I know that's very frivolous after we've been talking about like (laughs) the guy's arm getting ripped off. Arms of people and, you know, (laughs) sociopaths. But I love her dress, okay? Well, that's Game of Thrones, really, isn't it? It's all about I have it in caps in my notes. Oh, you know, I can't even remember what it looks like. I can. It's stuck stuck out to me, too. I remember seeing it was pretty. I remember seeing a sparrow. Was it a sparrow on it? A bird? Yeah, she had like a little bird on her. Like I said, it's it's very Japanese, I think, with the embroidery. It's beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. I often rag on her clothes and her hair, and I just wanted to. You wanted to say something nice, which was very nice of you. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Sassy Sansa at the start of the scene, too, with, I saw you cry. Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and she then kind she of totally gets her subtle up. digs in. Yeah, she's, I mean, she certainly knows, she's learned how to play the game, but she sort of can't seem to help herself getting those little digs in, which I think is mm-hmm. awesome, really. Good for her. Yeah. I love the recovery, you know, the sort of fuck you very much kind of, oh, you know, that's not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, after the Septon gets torn apart, it's at this moment that Tyrion asks, where's Sansa? The Hound and the other White Cloaks carry Joffrey to safety. Um, they're just slashing people as they go. And Cersei also makes it inside the keep. Sansa is outside of the walls and uh, she's getting chased down an alley by three men. Uh, Joffrey is freaking out, demanding heads. Tyrion loses his cool, calls him a vicious idiot king. <laughs> Joffrey screams back at Tyrion and we get a bitch slap by Tyrion. Oh yeah. Yep. Tyrion uh, starts yelling for Sansa. Joffrey says, let them have her. And he says, if she dies, you'll never get your Uncle Jamie back. You owe him quite a bit, you know. Which I thought was an interesting line. (laughs) (laughs) Sansa gets caught. Um, 
this is kind of just happening as this other stuff is playing out. Tyrion orders Trant out to go look for her, and Trant refuses. Sans is about to be raped when the hound guts the man like a fish, and then he kills the other. He tells her she's all right now, carries her way over his shoulder, and it is chaos in the streets. The hound brings Sansa inside the keep. Tyrion asks if she's okay. Thanks the hound. He thanks the hound, and then the hound says, "I didn't do it for you." And that's the end of that. Man, that was a that was a really good scene. <laughs> yeah, it was harrowing. I mean, it was it's one of those scenes that are really, really uncomfortable to watch. And I can only imagine what it was like to film for Sophie Turner. But she did a she did a thoroughly realistic job. So much so that I had to turn away from the screen a few times. It's never. Uh... A... Go ahead, Puma. There's an anecdote about that. Um, they wanted her. They were very, you know, because she was a younger actress at the time and they were very nervous, but she pulled it off. And then later on, I think it's like that. And apparently she was like, had no problems doing this scene here, but the bit where she had to sing, she was like a total nervous wreck about. Oh, so she's cool. Go figure. She's cool with the rain, but not so much with the singing. She's on the right show. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just thought, like, I'm, I would not even just the Sansa part, but like the whole the whole scene with everybody in the frantic crowd. Like, it was yeah. so well done, so tense. You really felt like anything could happen at any moment. Somebody could die here. Yeah, I, I was caught up. Yeah, in it. I remember reading that um, book readers at times. Some of them weren't particularly impressed with the scale of it because obviously they have to scale this kind of stuff down on the show because they don't really have the budget to have these huge mass pillagings and, and fights mm-hmm. and whatnot. But, I mean, for me, I think it was fantastic. I think they did a, a really mm-hmm. fantastic job with it. You're right. I think you get a real sense of urgency, a real sense that, oh, God, is this actually going to happen? Um, yeah, you yeah. know what yeah. really attributed to it, too, is that the fact that they did it in such a confined, narrow space, like it mm-hmm. really made you feel mm-hmm. claustrophobic and like you were getting right, crushed yeah. by these people. Like like they shot it with well with what they had. Yep. Yeah, they really did. Okay. Anyone want to add anything else before we go on? Go across the narrow sea? No? Okay. I'm keen to get to Danny. <laughs> Daenerys. Beguile. <laughs> uh, Daenerys is with Zaro, uh, waiting on the Spice King. Zaro tells her she should have married him again. Um, Danny brushes him off, and then the Spice King comes down the stairs with his posse. <laughs> she tells the Spice King she wants ships to cross the Narrow Sea. He patronizes her a bit and, you know, asks, well, does she have an army, powerful allies? Um, she tells him the people will support her claim. He says he will not support wishes and dreams. She tells him of Illyrio and the dragon eggs stepping into the fire and how they hatched. She tells him she is no ordinary woman. Her dreams come true. The Spice King mm-hmm. tells her no, and uh, he deals in logic. Daenerys gets a little Viserys on him and threatens fire and blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, this, this is a good scene, I think. I think it's, it's a scene that highlights how young Danny is, really, and, and how naive she is. She's you know, so whether or not here. Yeah. She really is yeah. childlike. You know, whether or not she truly mm-hmm. believes that the people of Westeros are going to, you know, fight for her when she returns and that the birth of her dragons is a sign that she's going to win the throne and that her dreams come true, whether or not she believes it, and I think she does. These I aren't, these aren't um, particularly smart arguments to make to the Spice King. I mean, he's he's a businessman, he's a pragmatist, and he is completely correct when he says, I cannot make an investment based on wishes and dreams. So this is Danny kind of getting a dressing down in the way that the world works, and I think it's quite an effective scene. I think it's it's an interesting parallel with the one for with Theon and Bran. I think Theon's trying to convince himself. I think Danny is partly trying to convince herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the mm-hmm. same time, I mean, there's that sort of doubt maybe about what they're doing. And the Spice King is certainly throwing a lot of doubt on her. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, they, they buy their own press. They have this idea. She is very much like her brother in this scene. Um, I mean, this, this kind of dialogue, I mean, granted her brother couldn't have done the stuff with the dragons, but what she's saying is very much Viserys kind of talking. Um, and you're right. She's like supposed to be like 14 or 15 years old. Mm-hmm. She really is that young girl. 
Yeah, it's um, interesting. It's kind of um, when you think back a few episodes, well, a few, I think it was back in season one, where she and Jorah were having that conversation about, oh, do you really think that Viserys can take the throne? Do you think that the people are going to rally behind him? you think they're actually waiting for your for your return, the Targ return? And she's kind of like, oh, no, I don't really believe that. I don't think Viserys can take the throne. So I think you're right. I think that she certainly is buying into her own press, but I do think that, that she's doubtful at the same time. And I think that the Spice King did give her a kind of much-needed reality check, although considering mm-hmm. the fact that this is Danny, <laughs> you know, how much she would actually take on board, well, we know, obviously, um, that she doesn't so much. But, you know, and as Locke was saying, I think as soon as she doesn't get her way, she kind of chucks a series. you know, she reverts <laughs> back to what are right. this time empty threats with her dragons, yeah. you know. I got to say, that guy playing Zaro, oh, he just grates. I know you don't He's like not him. very good. You say that every I time. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Every time, Lot, every time. <laughs> I have no opinion either way. I know Chicky likes like, Even the so Spice King guy playing Duck Sauce. <laughs> <laughs> did he really? Yeah, he called him Duck Sauce. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Spice King sorry. for some reason reminds me of Vizzini from The Princess yes. Bride. Yep. Oh, yeah. Totally getting that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, come I'm gonna make you mad. Oh my god, I never saw that before. And so, now, come on, I'm gonna make you mad. Uh oh. I wouldn't, I love it. I'm, I don't wanna draw a parallel between Danny and Theon so much as, I think there's a bit of a parallel between Danny and Stannis. Uh oh. And I think yeah. that they're both at a point where they are they're at a point where they're demanding what she's demanding from the Spice King she's demanding what she thinks is hers by right yeah I would argue that you know much much the same way that you know that Stannis has and where Stannis had the had Davos telling him you know kind of being the voice of reason in this scene I see the Spice King almost doing that same thing and then I think the whole concept of, of where they go and how they progress as leaders, there's definitely some parallels there, too. I think, you know, yeah. it's so weird because I think the fans of each character rarely overlap, but I think that there are a lot of parallels between the two. No, I think you're absolutely right. There are a lot of similarities. And actually, I mean, for that matter, Joffrey thinks he's king by right. I mean, they they think they're in all of these people. They think they're entitled to all of these things. And they have various reasons for where they're getting that concept from. But yeah, I, they, I think yeah, they rarely very... approach it as, you know, what can I do for you? <laughs> like, those those right. words never pass their lips. Well, and she seems so gobsmacked that he just wouldn't give her all these ships. And it's like, uh, you know, do you, I, I kind of like it because it's sort of like, lady, do you realize how absolutely crazy you sound right now? You know, yeah. like, we all know that Stannis would have slept with that dude to get that ship. <laughs> <laughs> no. Davos or Melisandre <laughs> would have slept with that dude to get that ship. <laughs> uh, that's why he is Melisandre. What's more, they wouldn't have told Stannis that they did it. Yeah. Um, I'll just briefly mention, because I think we've, we've had a good discussion on this, but in the commentary, Vanessa um, talks a little bit about how they had to embellish Danny's storyline in season two because Danny doesn't feature as heavily in the books, um, which, you know, obviously they do because this stuff, uh, well, the stuff that happens a bit later in the episode doesn't actually occur in the books. Um, and then she mentions you don't want to embellish too much because people who read the books are partial to the stories. We are a little bit partial. A little, to just a tinge. A little bit. <laughs> A little bit. But yeah, they, they're obviously aware that, you know, we're riding beyond the scope of the book here for Danny. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I understand why. Not much really happens with Danny around this, this time in the story. The Karth storyline for me in the books wasn't, wasn't, you know, hugely interesting. So I'm glad in a way that they've, they've put these little touches in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go on. Uh, Arya is cleaning Tywin's tables again. Uh, she sees Rob Stark on a scroll. Uh, Tywin asks her, who taught you to read? She says her father. We learn uh, that Jamie is dyslexic. <laughs> Tywin tutored him for four years until he... Uh, for, sorry, four hours until he learned. Uh, Arya tells Tywin her father was a stonemason and loyalty is what got him killed. 
Arya asks about Tywin's father, and Tywin responds, He was a good man, but weak, and nearly destroyed their house and name. Arya um, steals the scroll. Um, she runs down the stairs, and she actually runs into Armory Lorch at this point. She lies and tells him that she's uh, Tywin has asked her to take that message and deliver it. Uh, he wants to ask Tywin himself. She bolts. Armory is on his way to Tywin, and then Arya finds Jack and Hagar, gives him Armory Lorch's name, and she says he has to do it now. And just as Lorch is about to um, walk into the door, he is poisoned, dart it in the neck, and he's dead. Mm. So I feel like we should point out the little dyslexic thing is not in the yeah. books. Jamie's not dyslexic in the books. Ah, uh, that's a total show invention. <laughs> now can we talk about Tywin and Arya as BFFs? <laughs> sure. I, I know it's you know complete. I was going to say, I know it's completely invented, but I really like these scenes. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I, could, I can see how in isolation this scene was terrific. The actors' chemistry is amazing. I think they both do a fantastic job with what they were given, but <laughs> I can't get past... Tywin sharing his confidences with his cupbearer it is, from what I read of Tywin in the books, wildly out of character. And you can argue all you like that Tywin admires Arya's intelligence or her sass or her haircut. I don't buy him swapping stories with his servant about his dyslexic son and his embarrassing father who almost destroyed the family name. I just don't buy it. Well, I buy Show Tywin doing that. <laughs> I, I buy Show Tywin doing that too. Show Tywin is not book Tywin. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, like yeah, Show mean, Cersei is not book Cersei. He's just a sweet, kind-hearted old man. He's just a grandfather. And he, you know, but you know what? Yeah. Uh, two of book Tywin's defining characteristics are his pride and his ruthlessness. Do you really think that Book Tywin would show vulnerability to one of his servants? You know, he's a proud no. man. He's such a proud man. The idea that he would cozy up to his cupbearer, talk about his daddy and his son. I oh. don't think he, he is. I think he sees her as sort of an amusing piece of furniture. And I think he doesn't... I, I love these scenes. I'll go to the to the to my grave saying these are... This, for me, is the best part of season two. But I thought really weird it was a good scene because it's a good way to build in all that background about Titus, which we otherwise wouldn't get. Um, I'm actually okay with Jamie not being, you know, having it. Um, I'm okay with him being dyslexic. I am okay with Tywin. He's not, I don't think he sees Arya like, she's not a person to him. She's his, it's, like I think I alluded to last podcast, it's that analogy of the Victorian master and servant. You know, this is someone, there's this sort of pseudo kind of relationship. It's not real. It's not going to go anywhere. He, of course, is not going to take her with him. I'm okay with it. I mean, and God knows, I I bash the show a lot, but these scenes for me work really well. Yeah, I totally disagree. <laughs> I think it makes I am, sense. I, I think that's a really good point, Kama. I think, you know, yeah, he he basically gives her to the mountain, and he knows exactly who and what the mountain is. Mm-hmm. And so he, I think it's a good point. Like, he doesn't really quite see her as fully human. So maybe he, it is like making his confessions to, you know, a particularly nice table. It's uh, inconsequential. I think he's surrounded by all of these incompetent people. He's frustrated. His golden son and heir is a captive. He's got all of these idiots, including Amory Lorch there, who can't read. The cupbearer, and that's got to be kind of grating, is the only one who seems to have, you know, to be doing her job right. And I think he's just, he's a frustrated probably again, she's an amusing piece of furniture, a curiosity, something he's sort of like, he's puzzling this bit out. There's that little call out like, yeah, right, your father's a stonemason. Uh-uh. I, you know, and he's putting these pieces together, but as you say, gives her to the mountain. I mean, he doesn't really care. Yeah, no, It's not cuddly. I'm... I mean, a cuddly grandpa doesn't give a small child over to the care of that guy. It I'm... just doesn't gonna happen. I'm all for developing Tywin's character. I just wish he'd done it in a way that is consistent with what we know about Book Tywin because the Book Tywin we know 
would never allow a cupbearer to talk back to him or obliquely threaten him, as Ari actually does when she says, you know, anyone can be killed. I'm staring at you. It's just terrible characterization. I am, I hear you, comma, but I don't, don't agree with you. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. Uh, let's go to Rob's camp. Uh, the Northern Army looks to be in good shape. They're eating and everybody's getting along. <laughs> Rob finds Talisa <laughs> composing a letter. They flirt a bit. She asks if they will be there long and he won't answer her. And she says, I'm not a spy. <laughs> Everyone's thinking she's a spy <laughs> at this point. Uh, there's some more flirting and then he's interrupted by Catelyn's return. Rob introduces Catelyn to Talisa and Talisa then excuses herself. Catelyn and Rob um, converse a bit. She reminds him of his responsibilities. He's promised to another a debt that must be paid. Roos interrupts with news of Winterfell. Mm. How, how cool is it that uh, Roos kind of pops up between them as they're talking about the promise that Rob needs to keep to the phrase? I thought that was a nice little shout out I love, to the book fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like the one thing with the whole Talisa thing is I kind of love that Roos can't stand her. It's evident. It's always evident in their scenes. He's cock-blocking Rob at the same time. It's like he sort of views Talisa as a cock-block, too. I really thought, when I saw this, I thought they were going somewhere with the letter thing, especially that we just saw yes. the scroll. But no, she's yes. just this modern character in the medieval world, and I don't know. I don't care. She's what? a time traveler. Was, as, as is everyone. Like, yeah. how fast Littlefinger and Catelyn both got to their destinations. Oh, my God. It's actually passed yeah. between those episodes. But you know what I, I mean? Up, oh, you go ahead, Ian. I mean, all the way up until season three, I was so suspicious of Talisa. I thought she really was a Lannister spy. And with her writing a letter and then jokingly saying that she's a Lannister spy, I mean, I was just like, yeah, she's a Lannister spy, you know. I mean, you'd think that someone would actually want to check out what she's writing in her native tongue. Like, yes. You know, you've got someone who's who's uh, privileged to the intricacies of the camp here and no one's actually checking to see what she's sending out. <laughs> Oh, Rob. And how much, yeah. How much did you love Catelyn's face when Rob introduced her to Lisa? She's like, now I understand why Rob's been in such good moods. I have in my notes in caps, listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. (laughs) All right. We're going to go back in the north now, beyond the wall. Uh, John is leading Ygritte by rope. He's lost. She's not. Um, it's getting dark, and he wants to make camp. Ygritte thinks it's a bad idea. Um, John refuses to make a fire. She tells him they should stay close, at least. Uh, John is uncomfortable looking about the idea, um, but he relinquishes and then cuddles up to her. Um, she calls him stupid, um, brave but stupid. Then she leans into the spooning and kind of wiggles her butt into him a little bit. <laughs> he tells her to stop. She doesn't. She's got this little grin on her face, and she kind of enjoys tormenting him, I think. <laughs> this scene is like, I swear it could have been the beginning of a porno. Like, first he ties her up. Then, then she tells him they'll be warmer if they stay close together. You know, we need to snuggle for science. The, oh, it's I mean, a exactly. And then she says, fire, hot, sorry. <laughs> bad times, look. Bad times. Oh, okay. Do you want uh, to explain to our listeners what you're referring to? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if I people got it, topic. they got it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone got anything else to say about your grit and John canoodling? Oh yeah, it was great. It was just basically Taylor and Lee ripping on Kit Harrington, which he must be a double person alive. Yeah. If you think of like all the cast members who rip on him and kid him. Yeah. He must be well liked, I think. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Ro- let's and go on. I- What's that? <laughs> I just made a short joke. Tiny. <laughs> Tiny. I getcha. Okay. Uh, Rob is given news of Theon's betrayal. Um, there's no news of his brothers. They learn that Roderick is dead. Catelyn tells him, I told you never to trust a Greyjoy. 
Um, Rob wants to go back to Winterfell immediately. Roos tells him he doesn't have to do that. Catelyn offers to talk to Theon. Rob wants Theon dead. There's no more talking to be had. Roos offers to send Ramsay to take back Winterfell. Um, Rob tells him he wants Theon alive. So I thought the Roos, Roos was a little odd in this scene because at first I, at first he really does seem like he's calming Rob down. Like he's very, um, yeah. He's almost like, like, I think he's genuinely helpful. So I, I wonder if, what's, what's the opinion at this point in the storyline? Is Roos, is his plan already in motion? Is he already planning to flip sides? I think that I, I feel think, like he is. I think that's the Go ahead, Koma. I think, having now rewatched this and a lot, and especially his <laughs> scenes, I think this is a guy who's hedging his bets. I think he's hedging them all the way up to the dinner with Jamie and Brienne in season three. I think he goes into this war because, of course, he has to because he's a bannerman and that's what you do. I think he's bettering his position. I think if he thinks Rob can get to a good place and he's going to come out on top, he'll stay with Rob. And I think right here he's trying, because I think that's part of the resentment with Talisa. I mean, he's trying to position himself to be, you know, the power behind the throne. And Rob is thinking with his dick all the time. And there's this foreign chick who, uh, you know, yeah. I think he legitimately, he, you know, if things went a certain way, he would go that way. But if if he gets a better deal, you know, he's going to flip. That's who this guy is. He was angling, he was angling to be the hand of the king in the north. Oh, I think so. Mm. And I think if Rob could have gotten to a position where he could have, like if the deal with Renly had worked, if Renly hadn't have died and Rob would have had that, I think he would have been fine with that. But then at a certain point, Tywin throws a better deal out on the table and Roose is going to take it. And of course, Rob can't win. That's the problem that they're getting into. That they're, they're going to come to a point where it's just not a winnable war. And Roos, he's not going to back Rob at that point. Okay. So I think right now they're in a state of flux. He's got, and I, I mean, going back, I'm assuming that scrolls from him. That he and, and Tywin are, are corresponding in some respect. Because obviously it's not, um, Una Chaplin, so. Oh, I mean, mean, that's my theory. I don't know. Anyone else? Nope. Alright, let's go on. Winter fell. Um, Theon is making himself at home. Osha, um, is with a guard. Um, she offers herself to Theon. Um, he tells the guards to Amscray. <laughs> she asks for her freedom. Theon promises her that only if she serves him well. So um, it looks like Osha's going to get some Theon action. Maybe she's going to get <laughs> so, pregnant. Wouldn't that be amazing? Osha be half squid, half wildly. Actually, that would be kind of sweet. You know, given what happens to Theon, that actually yeah. would be kind of nice. Yeah. I had that thought going, watching I'm this. Rooting for that. I had that thought. Hello, yeah. Guile. <laughs> Little baby squid. Sorry, Eon, you were yeah. I was just saying, um, the, Osha says the free people know things, savage things. What are these savage things? I think you know it, Ian. I Come on. You, know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you saw Ygrette's moves before? <laughs> yeah. Well, we know but what they don't think. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> All right. I think um, she's just going, okay, little boy. <laughs> yeah. She's playing him. Uh, in King's Landing, Shay is tending to Sansa's wounds. Sansa doesn't understand why the people hated her so much. Shay tells her, um, you know, that man's horse probably eats better. Your horse probably eats better than his children. Sansa tells Shay she hates the king more than any of them. And Shay tells her not to say that and not to trust anybody. Very short scene. Mm. It's, was just there, it. like, a deleted scene or something because this is one of my big problems with the Shay characterization because it goes from this sort of like Tyrion's gotten her a job so he can bang her without people noticing to 
I would die for that girl. I never understood that. And I'm like, I I never got that. And I kind of wonder if there was a, this was a shorter piece of a longer scene where we got a sense of where that loyalty came from. It feels very unfinished to me. Yeah, I feel like there's something missing too, because I never understood how she could be so uh, protective of Sansa. It seems uh, like to be that protective. I don't know. It always kind of played flat for me too. Anybody else? Nope. All right. Uh, we're gonna go with Osha. Um, she leaves Theon in his bed. Um, she is stopped outside by a soldier. She makes out with him, sneaks his knife away, and then cuts his throat open. <laughs> she whistles, and then out comes Rickon, Hodor, and Bran, and there are two wolves. Yay, Osha, she's a badass. Uh, anything to add about that? No, not really. I mean, in the I didn't mention previously, in the books, she doesn't actually sleep with Theo, and I think she sleeps with one of the guards, so I guess she's working her way up in the world. You know, Prince of Winterfell, woo! (laughs) (laughs) Getting that baby squeak. Yeah, honestly, I mean, there's not a huge amount to say about these scenes. Yay, they escaped! Yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, so we're going to go to Danny's scene again, then. She's hanging out with Zaro still. Um, She's pissed off because all the merchant kings are denying her requests for ships. Zaro tells her he has done many things to get where he is in life, and yet he has no regrets. He opens the door to the inner courtyard to reveal several slaughtered guards. Danny races back to her quarters. Her handmaiden is on the floor dead, and her dragons are gone. And we get the, where are my dragons? <laughs> we end with a shrouded someone carrying crying baby dragons up some stairs leading to a tower. Who could it be? I don't know. <laughs> you guys like Doritos? I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish I had some right now. That's not Doritos. That's is this a sponsored podcast now? <laughs> it is. Well, I mean, we, already had, we already had all the Mazda stuff. Zoom, zoom. <laughs> We're trying, but no one's picking up. It's <laughs> not... That's Daria. That's Yuri. That's the the Dothraki. Yeah, that's Daria. Daria's yeah. yeah. wild the dragons. Yeah, the betrayer. It it looked like some of her Dothraki men also were killed too in there too. Yeah. yeah, like whenever they were going up the stairs, there was a couple of them dead. Yeah. So, and she's she's just upset about her dragons. God, I hate that. That where are my dragons? That's painful. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I think I've been more than far, but that is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was made worse when they turned it into that cell phone commercial or whatever the hell that was. But uh. oh, there's an awful commercial it? where it's like she's going, "Where are my dragons?" and it's like either oh. a cell phone or Starbucks or something like that. There's great. There's a great little YouTube song. Give me boats and dragons. Oh uh, yeah, I think that's the one you showed me, wasn't it, Kyle? <laughs> sure, it was. We should share it. Let's I show it to a lot of people. <laughs> Let's share it on our Tumblr. You can see that there. I'm promising things. I'm probably gonna make someone else do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, that uh, that reminds me. Thanks for posting that, uh, comma, the uh, Daenerys versus, well, Amelia versus Madonna, who wore it best on the Tumblr. <laughs> I, I think even... it was overwhelmingly in favor of Madonna, which surprised At one me, point, honestly, oh, I no. think that Amelia wore it best. Oh, thank you. Wig. Tell you better wig. <laughs> it's actually tied. I think it's pretty close to a tie, because in Is the it? beginning, it was like Madonna was clearly winning. I'm like, this ain't right. <laughs> blocked it demanding people to support <laughs> Amelia. <laughs> you have to say that. Well, I agree with you. I think that I think it's better. I, I think Amelia really worked. Yeah. That gold thing is gorgeous, though. Mm. Whatever the mm. hell it is. Yeah, that is that's a that's a beautiful detail and it gets lost with the vest over. I really like how Madonna wore it better. Fair enough. I think I just think Amelia looks really um kind of ethereal. I think it was really lovely. Well it really works. This is what we've been reduced reduced to, people. This is what we've been reduced to discussing. I have no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. (laughs) Let's uh, move on to thank yous. Who's got them? 
I anybody haven't. do them? Okay. <laughs> anybody? <laughs> All right. We have an Anon, and the Anon says, I know season two is rough, but I wish you all would spend a little more time talking about what you liked rather than what you disliked. Kind of a bummer to listen to my fave podcast totally rip on my fave show for an hour. Well, we liked Cersei's dress. I defended Amelia Clark for crying out loud. That never happened. I did too. I also think she wore it better, okay? I mean... (laughs) <laughs> and and Tywin and Arya for the win. Well, I have to disagree with that one. But Gollum, I loved on Theon a lot this episode. I mean, there's there's plenty to like, plenty to like. Yeah, I think yeah. we. I I don't know. Maybe I'm a little impartial, but I think we try to be fair and, and balanced. Think, yeah, I mean, and it's all in good fun. I mean, so you know, you, you usually rip on things, you know, that you love. I mean, you pick on things that you love. So you have to be cruel to be kind? I know, I just tried. Yes, Yes, I mean... (laughs) (sighs) You okay Do we have any more, Ian? (laughs) We do. We do. (laughs) Okay, Clotho Spindle says, It's been way too long since I've given some podcast kudos. As always, I love the balanced viewpoints and guests. Keep it fresh and feisty. Isn't that someone's house motto? LOL. How can I forget? I enjoyed hearing Godo, Relly, and Coralie on the last few episodes, and I continue to learn something new, or at least learn to look at something from a new viewpoint during each episode. You made me laugh so hard when you all went over the GRRM letter. Chickies put the imagery of Joffrey as the first boss, and Jamie as the big bad in the end, in my head now. I love it. I know there's time limits, but you always keep me wanting more and more and more. And I can't even express to you all how much I I will need this podcast to help me process and get through the coming season. Meow, 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 Clotho. Aww. <laughs> meow, 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 <laughs> back at you. We love you. <laughs> we do. Come back and guess soon. Yeah. Yes. All right. Our next one is from Crystal Rose 29. It says, thank you for the Danny Love last podcast. Thank she you. You're welcome. She really gets stupid and demanding season two, but this episode, she was cool. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, there you thank go. You. Yeah. We have two iTunes reviews. Yes. <gasps> I love those. From the UK. Yes. Sorry. No. Where are they from? They're from America. America. USA. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first one is from May Mayday six five one, and it says, "Hi, just started listening, and I'm already so down with this podcast. <laughs> I'm on episode six. I listened to a few different A Song of Ice and Fire podcasts. This one is great. I love the switching panel." I listen in bulk, and I see myself being here for a while. Keep up the great work, and I'll give another review when I finish what is here. Four stars, missing one with the switching of sound quality. Sorry, maybe the fifth will come. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I used my unknowingly my laptop mic for the first four episodes. Hey, and I, yeah, everybody knows the first ten for new podcasters. You, you don't really listen to those for quality controls. <laughs> <laughs> you wait till after 10, then you can really beat them up for that. <laughs> so she'll drop another star once she yeah, gets No, to don't do that. Mayday, mayday. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, though. Thank you. I love iTunes yeah, reviews. Thank you so much. Yes, really thank lovely. you so much. What's the second one? And last one is from Math Camel. It says huh? it's titled A Great Podcast for Fans, All Fans, Any Fan. Look, there's a bunch of good Game of Thrones podcasts out there, but this one is special. It's a Song of Ice and Fire podcast for starters. The hosts have read the books and seen the show, and they will draw it all together. Secondly, it has a great focus. I love these characters, and these guys stay positive in the face of overwhelming canon despair. They're fun and do a great job of keeping it listenable and charming. Oh, that is like really, really sweet. That's really nice to hear about. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Math Camel. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it was great. Oh, lots of love this week. Mm. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see. So if you want to send us some love, please do so. <laughs> at close the door and come here at... Wait, no, no. Oh, am I... oh my God. Have I ever forgotten our email before? <laughs> close the door and at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tumblr. Close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can reach us at Twitter um, or follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Um, door podcast. Sorry. Yeah, not Outdoor Backdoor Podcast. podcast. <laughs> backdoor Podcast. Probably some other podcast. I got it right, guys. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Let's close the door and come here after dark. <laughs> <laughs> Finally get it right. <laughs> All right. Uh, please like and review us on iTunes. Those are our favorites. Okay. Um, so thanks. Thanks for podcasting, ladies. Thank you for moderating. Fun, and thank you. you so much for Giles stepping in at the last minute. We love you. We Have do. a good one. We do. Take Bye, care. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye guys. Bye.